Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Yeah, and we have got a show for you tonight that you're going to enjoy immensely. Magnus Haystick. How's it, Magnus? Good afternoon. Good afternoon, uh, Justin and Alec. Yeah, and our guest uh, co-host tonight, Magnus Haystick, will be taking us through lots of interesting stuff. My goodness, there really is a lot to talk about tonight, Magnus. Um, top of the of the pops for personal finance investors, and I'm sure quite a few of your clients, is ABSA's closing its money market fund. Now, they're spinning it nicely. They're saying, oh, because there's no guarantees and a perception and whatever. They got themselves in all kinds of knots spinning that. They wouldn't come on the show tonight. I used to be an executive of ABSA. You remember that. And I remember very, very clearly why we did the money market fund. And that was because our margins were getting hammered. So as a consequence, we had to do it. We were losing deposits, banking deposits, to money market funds. Now, because their margins are being hammered, they are unveiling, unwinding it and saying, no, we're not going to have the money market fund of, what's it, Justin, how many billions? 80 billion. 80 billion rand. That 80 billion has got to go into bank deposits because banks earn more out of their deposits. Aish. And the, what very, a spin. Very interesting, Alec. I'm, I'm just happy I'm not an apps uh, money market uh, holder. Well, they're just going to switch it to other money market funds. Why should they put it into bank deposits? Crazy. Yeah, that, makes, that doesn't make sense, uh, Alec. That whole uh, declaration that uh, they research showed that most of the in, uh, investors thought it was guaranteed by APSA, and therefore they're going to unwind it and pay it back. It's absolute rubbish. Oh, it's complete, I mean, that's typical PR spin. Complete nonsense. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not amazed that they don't want to come onto the show because there's something much, much. Uh, I would, I wouldn't like to say sinister, but it just doesn't make commercial sense. It's the big, biggest money market fund in South Africa. And they're trying to spin it that now they have to close it because their clients don't understand it. Oh, it's so stupid. And no money market fund in this country has ever not, Correct. Uh, Correct. not repaid uh, its money. So what's, where does this guarantee come from? Hi. Peace no, that's an that's a, that's a MBA case study, how to spin your way out of a story. How to try and spin your way out of a story. Or try, because, I mean, there are some sort of, uh, independent journalists around like Mr. Alec Hogg and, and, and company. Well, the problem was I used to be on the Xcode ABSA. So I know the way the bankers think, especially there. But let's not go into that anymore. We're going to talk to Adrian Saddle in just a moment about his new job. Uh, the founder of Canon Asset Management is doing something very different now. Uh, on the ABSA story, uh, Magnus, we'll have more on that from Corky Koyman at the top of the hour around 6 o'clock. We will also be finding out from you why people are having a go at you about telling them to take money offshore. Uh, I suppose you could say one swallow doesn't make a summer, something like that. Yeah. Something on those yep. lines. And, and then we've got a, a little bit more of active citizenry. You might recall last week we spoke to the Ratepayers Association of Plet, to the chairman there, who was uh, – he was very impressive, wasn't he, Justin? Peter Garland, yeah. He was very impressive, had a, had a good track record. I mean, um, he, I think he was an executive at Impala Platinum, so – Kudos to him. Chemical engineer, also worked with Uni uh, University of Cape Town, and uh, they're taking on the Plett municipality. Today, uh, we got news that the guys out in the West Rand here in Gauteng have been filling in their own potholes. So we're going to be talking to the chairman of the Panorama Residents Association. Panorama is Rudapurt, that area. You're, you know that stamping ground, Magnus. <laughs> Yeah, I used to live in, uh, in, in, in Constantia Cliff for many, many years, uh, about 20 years, so I know it very well. But it's all over Joburg. I mean, we suddenly been seeing these reports. I think Rob Rose from the Financial Mail wrote about how the, the, the state of roads in, in, in Johannesburg and, and a couple of other journalists have suddenly realized that the rot from the smaller towns has now reached the biggest town of them all, which is Johannesburg or the Wittwaterstrand. So it is it's a sad state of affairs, I must say. But it's nice to see that citizens are taking matters into their own hands. However, we think it's illegal, supposedly illegal, because it was attempted in the past by companies. And uh, they were filling in potholes at a rate of knots, and then they were stopped from doing it in the I same way. Was, 
You remember yeah. that story? Yeah. So we'll find yeah. out how Dave Baxter and the Panorama residents have uh, been going about it. Also, we'll be talking uh, in that same conversation to the Institute of Race Relations, who really are a great organization. They stand up, they, they say it as they see it, uh, very independent. Uh, sorry to see that Franz Grenier is actually leaving there, but I'm sure he's going on to uh, doing a similar kind of an activism role. But before we get into all of that, which is coming up, in the next uh, 55 minutes, our editor-at-large, Jackie Cameron, uh, puts together a daily flash briefing. Today's one is particularly good. Have a listen. South Africa's road accident fund is on the brink of collapse after it secured an extraordinary court order preventing claims. Ground Up reports that the fund has been mismanaged and riddled with corruption. Pretoria High Court Judge Peter Mayer is quoted as saying that implosion of the fund will trigger a section of the Road Accident Fund Act which bars any claims against it for compensation. This in turn will reinstate the common law, leaving drivers open to being sued and claimants struggling to get compensation from penniless defendants. Former Intelligence Minister David Machlobo is facing a police investigation over illegal spying activities on critics of former President Jacob Zuma. The City Press reported that the Hawks are closing in on Mashlobo and have already interviewed key witnesses in the matter. A state security operative is quoted as saying that people targeted in the spying activities included former Signia CEO Magda Vizikshe and Finance Minister Tito Mboweni. Commenting on the unauthorized spying, Vizikshe said she was aware she was followed as the spies were so obvious. She added that her phone was tapped, which was evident from her line always crackling, and she was harassed at airports by state security ladies who did not even pretend to be customs. Vizikshe said she is happy to testify about the issue, and she said on Twitter, let's see where this goes, but it could get interesting. Africa's mainly poor nations are falling behind in the global vaccination race, with under 13 million doses administered so far to the continent's 1.3 billion people. This is according to the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. President Cyril Ramaphosa says the problem underscores the need for Africa to ramp up its own vaccine production. Meanwhile, the price of the Pfizer vaccine has shot up dramatically. The European Commission has signed contracts with Pfizer for the supply of COVID-19 vaccines in 2022 and 2023 for €19.50 per dose. This was revealed by Bulgarian Prime Minister Boyko Borisov. Borisov boasted how European solidarity and his diplomatic efforts had secured an additional 2.7 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine to be delivered to Bulgaria in the next two months. He's quoted as saying that Pfizer was 12 euros, then it became 15 euros 50. Contracts are now being signed for 900 million vaccines at a price of 19 euros 50. Borisov is known for often revealing in public following EU summits information that should normally be kept confidential. New York Stock Exchange listed Chinese tech giant Alibaba jumped in value despite a report that it had received a massive fine of 4% of 2019 revenue for monopolistic behavior. The State Administration for Market Regulation said that it had determined that Alibaba has been abusing market dominance since 2015 by forbidding its merchants from using other online e-commerce platforms. Alibaba said in a statement that it accepts the penalty and will ensure its compliance with determination. The fine of 2.75 billion US dollars was the highest ever antitrust penalty imposed by China. Morgan Stanley said in a note that despite the record fine amount, analysts think this should lift a major overhang on the stock and shift the market's focus back to fundamentals. And that was your Biz News Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. For more on those stories and other podcasts, go to biznewsradio.com. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour brought to you by the team at biznews.com. There's so much in uh, that flash briefing that we're going to be picking up later. And just one little point for you. Pfizer vaccines, which South Africa has now gone hell for leather with, sell at €19.50 each. That uh, the Bulgarian Prime Minister, as Jackie said, uh, let slip uh, from the confidential meeting. The AstraZeneca vaccine is priced at around $3 each. So now you wonder why there's such a campaign against AstraZeneca. Wow. Okay, so what happened on the markets today, Justin? The JSE All Share Index was lower at 66,400. Some of the day's highlights include NASPIS fell 70 Rand to 3,400 Rand a share after Tencent was trading weaker in Hong Kong this morning. 
Implats lost 8 Rand on the day to 275 Rand a share as weaker precious metals prices hampered most resource stocks. Goldfields was trading 4% lower at 138 Rand a share on the back of a weaker gold spot price. And Transaction Capital bucked the trend, trading more than 3% higher to a shade under 31 Rand a share. In the currency markets, the Rand was weaker against all the major currencies to 14 Rand 57 cents to the greenback, 20.03 to the sterling, and 17 Rand 36 cents to the euro. Gold is lower at $1,734 an ounce. Brent crude is trading at $64 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 870,000 Rand. Adrian Savile joins us now uh, on a day when he's let out the bag, finally, what he's going to be doing and joining a multi-family office uh, called Genera. Adrian, good to have you on the program. You were with Thanks, Canon how long? When did you start Canon? <laughs> uh, extraordinary, late 1990s, so uh, altogether 22 years. Okay, so all of a fifth of a century you leave in your creation. <laughs> you're going to go and work for families, rich families. And I, I see the CEO is a guy called Raymond Goss. Does that mean that Dick Goss's family is involved? Uh, uh, Raymond is uh, not direct family, no. Okay, so it's not the Goss family, but these family no, officers, no, no. they don't like telling us who they are. In, in, <laughs> in this case, uh, how many families are there, these very wealthy uh, organizations? Um. Uh, Alec, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a private company. So, you know, I'd rather stay away from, you know, exact or explicit detail, but it's a, it's a small set, um, uh, of families, um, which is a brand new, uh, uh, venture or environment for me. And it fits in, you know, very neatly with my experience in building Canon of looking after, uh, you know, high net worth individuals with bespoke, uh, investment needs. And so it's not a single family. It's exactly, you know, as the term, uh, suggests it is a multi-family office looking after a number of families with uh, with investment needs. So in South Africa, we've got E. Oppenheimer & Co., which is probably, Magnus, that's probably the biggest, eh? E. Op- Ernest, uh, e. Oppenheimer & Co., which is where the Oppenheimer billions are? That, uh, that was the original uh, family trust, if one can call it, of the Oppenheimer dynasty, which was set up 110, 120 years ago, quite correct. And I, it still operates you probably will find the roads, trust, the roads, families, money is still being managed on a similar basis. But the whole concept of a, a family uh, uh, office is well established all over the world with wealthy individuals. They've got so many assets and so, so many diverse assets in different jurisdictions. You need a lot of skills and a lot of smart people to look after your money. Uh, so it's it's interesting to see that it's, it's wearing his head in in South Africa as well. I remember Peter Major did the same thing. He worked for Mark Shuttleworth in uh, uh, HBD, Here Be Dragons, uh, his company. So, Adrian, what would attract someone with your incredible skills uh, to a family office rather than to continue working more publicly? You know, Alec, um, uh, for me, it was strategic um, uh, and and obviously a very personal uh, choice. Uh, if, you know, if I put the uh, the question back to you, you know, you've done these yards, you've built businesses, you've you know come to the end of your journey uh, uh, in businesses, and for me, it was time to move on and do something new and different. So it was a very personal choice, um, and strategically to work with Genera Capital and and Raymond Goss was just a really good fit uh, in that uh, there is a uh, I think a common culture and it's it's, it's hard to find uh, good culture, it is very hard to find great culture and I've known Ray uh, f- for a number of years and so th- uh, that was uh, a very big plus uh, I think a culture uh, more often than not is underestimated in its importance in uh, in working in business environments and then uh, you know a strong meeting of minds in terms of investment uh, process and investment philosophy in the last uh, decade or so I've spent uh, more and more time working in uh, multi asset alongside my specialist uh, uh, equity which I'm uh, which I'm known for in the in the market but multi asset and I think that that 
fits in particularly well uh, with this uh, investment environment. And uh, perhaps not so obvious uh, is, uh, you know, having a, uh, my own description, you know, an entrepreneurial uh, DNA. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to uh, to work alongside uh, a business or a team that has exactly that, you know, deep investment knowledge and uh, a sense of uh, ownership and entrepreneurial endeavor. So it just ticked a, a number of hard to hard to find in in a, in a single place uh, boxes. Adrian, uh, you and Magnus will remember Roy McAlpine, who was a, a giant Indeed. in the investment world at Liberty. And he, his number two for many years is a guy called Jamie Ingalls, if you recall him. But I remember yes. Jamie, Jamie leaving you know, soon after Roy did, and he went to go into running a family office. And we never heard from him again. Uh, which was a pity because he was he was uh, he was somebody who could share a lot of his knowledge and information. Are we still going to be able to talk yeah. to you? Are you still not just be talking to us, but are you still going to go to Gibbs and 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 act as a professor and and teach there? Yeah, Alex. So um, uh, I have my professorship at Gibbs, which I've uh, which I've had since the early two thousands, um, and uh, it's an important part of my profile, my career. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a big way of contributing to the country, to industry, uh, to public policy. So uh, without question, you know that remains an important part of uh, of my profile and my and my career, and. Um, uh, if you are willing to have me on the show, I would always be delighted to be a guest. Well, that's fantastic. So although you're going under the radar now in family offices, we will still have the benefit of sharing your wisdom with, Indeed. Uh, with, with our community. Thank you, Adrian. And all the best Thanks, on, on that. Before you leave, Magnus, a good mm. move for Adrian. Clearly, he's, he's going to have a different uh, lifestyle now in that he, he will not be pinged by uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, of small investors uh, who have invested in his funds. I think it's a brutal world out there. This, you know, especially if you're running smaller funds and not on a part of you know being independent, which which Adrian has been for many many years. Uh, I think for a very short space uh, he was part of a bigger grouping. I think he was uh, at, at Citadel, Stoke Peregrine for a while, but reverted very, very quickly. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, the, the, the smaller asset managers are having a tough time. Margins are under pressure. And I'm just, I'm just speculating now, but I would guess this could be a much more serene kind of uh, um, you know, part of his career where he can, he can research and think and strategize on behalf of his clients and they're prepared to pay him for that because, you know, we live in a global world because I would imagine that most of his attention will be focused on on, on investment opportunities and taxation issues and trust issues all around the world, not only limited to South Africa. So good luck to you, Adrian, and hope we hear your your mellow voice on, on business radio from time to time. Thanks, Magnus. Good to be with you again. Are you going to be doing a lot more traveling, Adrian? It's a good point that Magnus raises. And in, in the day-to-day hurly burly, it's hard to go to Omaha or San Francisco. What's traveling, Alec? That's, yeah. that's something from the previous decade. <laughs> uh, to travel, you have to have a that's vaccine. Oh, that's also true. Mm. Okay, let's not go You're down that route. So, um, uh, absolutely. You know, the role is, uh, is global, uh, and, uh, and Magnus is spot on. You know, it's, uh, uh, it stretches beyond given that it's, uh, uh, multifamily and that it's an investment office. Uh, it does have, um, uh, different asks and different, um, different needs. Uh, and without question, you know, when, uh, when the skies reopen, uh, I guess it will involve, uh, a bunch more travel. But what we've also learned, uh, in recent times, is that we can be in many more places uh, from home. Yeah, there's nothing quite like uh, seeing the, the, the great Buffett yeah, in agreed. person, though. So, agreed. You know, Omaha, is supposed, <laughs> Omaha is moving to San Francisco this year, but I think it's going to be too soon for us in South Africa. Just before you go, uh, you did mention vaccines. Mm. I want to pick up from what Jackie uh, said in the flash briefing today. The Prime Minister of Bulgaria has now let slip mm. that the EU have bought the Pfizer vaccines for 1950 euros each. That's like 400 rand roughly. Uh, we mm. know that the one we gave up, AstraZeneca, which is maybe 70% effective, whereas Pfizer is maybe 90% effective, 
that was being sold for three dollars, three US dollars. So there's a mm. there's an exponentially more expensive vaccine that South Africa's now bought. Doesn't this bother you that somewhere along the line we 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 missing uh, we missing the boat here that that we had the AstraZeneca which seems to uh, be targeted uh, as uh, by by many other many corporates and we know Big Pharma's got an awful record when it comes to ethics in uh, in the way that they deal with the public. You're an independent thinker, Adrian. Are you at least a little worried about this? Yeah, you know, Alec, from a, uh, from a country perspective, I think that we have, um, uh, we've, we've, we've just misstepped in so many ways. Um, uh, if there is, if, if there is a national priority, this is it. Um, uh, South Africa is uh, running increasing risk of being uh, economically isolated. Uh, important industries that hinge on connectedness, most obviously tourism, um, are, are locked out. And, uh, you know, here we are in April and I don't have any sense of what the vaccination timetable looks like. So, you know, while we might be waiting for uh, a vaccine, could we at least get uh, clear indications of what that rollout timetable looks like? Um, you know, and very personally, I can share with you, I'm a type 1 diabetic. I'm particularly vulnerable and I don't have a clue, uh, you know, when this vaccine is uh, is coming. So I think that we've misstepped in so many ways on this absolutely critical issue. Thanks, Adrian, for that honest uh, assessment there. And Magnus, from your side, I, I recall AstraZeneca, uh, the vaccine, you've got some connection. Some of your clients are invested through the OSI or Oxford uh, Institute. That's right. Uh, one of Bachter Vizisca's uh, investments, the Signia Oxford Sciences Innovation Fund, for South African investors, and then the Bravos One and Bravos Two uh, private placements of, for offshore money as an indirect stake in, in right down to the bottom in AstraZeneca. They, the, the team at Oxford University, I think it's a lady called Dr. S- Dr. Sarah Gray, if I can recall correctly, she was the lead researcher for many, many years on these vi- type of vaccines. So there are a group of South African investors who are indirectly invested in Oxford OSI and then, of course, straight through into uh, AstraZeneca. So they're watching the AstraZeneca story very carefully because at some point, not now, because they've got an undertaking with both governments not to make a profit while the pandemic Mm. is still with us. But the moment it goes off the pandemic, they're entitled to push up their profit margins and that will happen quite significantly. Uh, and so those investors will benefit over time by virtue of the fact that they have a stake in Vasitech and, 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 and OSI in South Africa, which is one of the Signia's uh, uh, products. But it is sold out. It's difficult to explain, but it was a private equity placement and there's only a limited stock. And that stock went very, very quickly. There's some big hitters in OSI, including... Uh, Sequoia Capital and Temasek and Google. Uh, 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 so there's some some serious, seriously smart guys who've invested in OSI. But w- what I'm driving at here is the point you made earlier. Oxford University said we will not profit from this pandemic. We will price the the Astra well the the vaccine which is now being made by AstraZeneca or the one we know is the AstraZeneca vaccine at a pri- at cost. So that's three dollars. We now hear from the Bulgarian prime minister who let slip from one of his meetings to show how clever he is that the Pfizer vaccine is at 1950 euros. Put that into dollars, it's probably 22, 23 dollars. It's almost 10 times what the Oxford uh, stroke AstraZeneca vaccine is, is sold for at this point in the, in the uh, pandemic. It, it, it leads you to you don't have to be have too suspicious a mind to say, no wonder Big Pharma or somebody is dissing the AstraZeneca vaccine because it is so much cheaper than all the others because they is they're selling it at no profit at this point. Yeah, one one I think you, you're right to be a little bit suspicious. This whole rollout is a, is a shambles. 
the AstraZeneca uh, vaccines that we had, we sold it on to countries in Africa on the basis that uh, it's expiring quite soon. And, and, you know, South Africa government in the last couple of years has just shown that uh, these funny deals creep up in, in especially uh, we saw it with, uh, during the, the, the pandemic, um, self-protection equipment was sold and at, at massive profits. And, and, and so it's very, very strange what's going on with this. And, and I've, I've read reports and, and actually spoken to Magda about it. She just shakes her head. She, she, she cannot understand that, that the government doesn't understand how serious the situation is. And as Adrian said, we're sitting here waiting. We are, I think, number 20 on the list of countries rolling out the vaccination process. Whereas countries like Israel and Seychelles are about at 70% of inoculating their, their, their people. And, and our government is just hiding behind a brick wall of no comment, not telling anybody. And, and as Adrian said, we could be, again, under a certain kind of apartheid where because of the prevalence of, of, of the pandemic in South Africa, global tourists can go in most countries, but not South Africa, which will be very, very bad for our tourism industry. Well, and there is, of course, the other side of it, that most of us have had it anyway, and that we don't really need a vaccine, but that doesn't matter because the world is going to say, unless you've had the vaccine and you show us the certificate, you can't come in here or we can't come to you. Magnus, uh, the other story that affects you directly, quite a lot of, of uh, discussion today. You've been following it on, on Twitter, Justin. So I have been following it quite closely, um, Alec. Um, there's two things here. So... Over the last year, the JSC has relatively outperformed all of its emerging market peers and even the developed um, uh, markets such as the US. If you have to look at the top 40, say, against the NASDAQ, although it is maybe a 5% differential, it has outperformed. But if you have to look over over 5, 10, 15-year um, time period, the JSC has markedly underperformed developed market indices and other emerging market indices Besides, say, Brazil and Argentina, they're going through hyperinflationary periods um, and their returns show that. Um, so basically, that's the whole argument that although uh, the JSC has outperformed over one year, it has markedly outperformed all other time frames. So, Magnus, uh, that story about the one swallow in the summer, you coming in for a bit of stick <coughs> because you've been telling people to take their money offshore but last year was a better year as far as the JSE is concerned. There are many aspects to the story, which is it's very unfortunate. And, and, and yes, this article, I, I, there were a couple, in fact, there were two articles on that score, but I'm not sure if it was directed at me, but it said about those advisors who invested or recommended offshore investing uh, got egg all over their face. But, you know, one has to look at when... The, the cycle started. The, the the recommendation from my perspective and from our company's perspective started in 2010, 2011, 2012. After I had um, went to an investment seminar with a guy called John Walden, I came back and purely for diversification purposes, I started saying we should be looking at technology stocks and, and healthcare stocks and biotechnology stocks. And most South Africans have never heard of it. And I started tracking SA versus the rest of the world. And by about 2012, 13, I, I saw this underperformance. And on radio and in print and in practice, we started telling our clients, there's something happening here. The JSC is not what it used to be. Maybe you should take some of your money and put it somewhere else. And, and I think you've shown it with your global portfolio, the kind of returns that, that people have been making. But then you have, of course, the vested interests that uh, don't like this because remember the JSC and, and local investment markets, in essence, it's just a product. And, 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 and people buy the product and, and everybody makes money out of it or not. The, the primary role for, for an investment advisory company as, as ourselves is, is to look after the welfare of our clients. And we get paid by our clients. We don't get paid by anybody. Nobody pays us a cent. We get paid by our clients. And it's just a call, get some more money offshore. And Justin has showed, you know, the, 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 at the same time, he had one of the biggest, biggest booms in the U.S. in, in the infotech, the technology, infotainment ever. 
and South Africa was excluded from that. And if you wanted to be part of the Amazons and the Googles and the Netflixes, you had to take your money out of South Africa and give it to the Americans, and you made a lot of money. So over, over 10 years, your average return in the U.S., not even talking about uh, NASDAQ, was 15% in dollar terms per year versus zero in South Africa. You've made no money despite the massive rally in the last year that's brought the average return for the JC up to zero in dollar terms. If you, and, and, and that's the crux of the matter. So I don't, you know, I don't care what people say. One-year returns doesn't impress me. Investment cycles are much, much longer than that. They're five to 70, even 10 years. So on a, on a, just to end up, you know, anybody took money out over the last 10, seven, five years is so far ahead of the local counterparts that it's, it's, it's actually meaningless to say, oh, the JSC was the best performing sector. And, and might I just add, nowhere did we say take all your money out as soon as possible. We often say that there are certain people who should not take money offshore. They should never take money offshore. There are great investment opportunities in the local bond markets and the local income markets, and even on our equity space. We've got money with many local fund managers like Pitfillion's Counterpoint Value Fund and 361, but a, a very large percentage of the assets of our clients have been for 10 years and more offshore and also, that's what our clients demand because they are global citizens. They travel globally. They visit their families. They visit their kids. They pay in dollars for services all around the world. And if you want to invest in RANDs and you want that kind of lifestyle, you're going to become very, very poor. Magnus, thanks for putting that into perspective. And we certainly do here at BizNews serve the global citizens. And sometimes that puts us on a different page uh, with people who have a, a more maybe short-term blinkered approach. Amongst those, I think, are the executives at ABSA. And uh, the decision today on the money, to close the money market fund, Justin, this is another story you've been following. How big was the money market fund? And, and what did they say to you when you asked them if they could come on the show? Uh, it was approximately 85 billion rand um, assets under management, um, and they didn't really have much to say. They just gave me their statement. Their statement pretty much outlined what you covered at the beginning of the show, wishy-washy kind of jargon um, to wriggle their way out of it. Um, but they weren't willing to comment, which is quite unfortunate. It is strange that companies nowadays don't realize that there are business people who are commenting on this within the media and that who know and understand that a lot of these decisions are not driven by the narrative and the spin, but actually are to do, we know that it's to do with margins. Just to put it into context, I spoke to Koki Koiman earlier today. He also has something to say here about the results that are coming from Capitec tomorrow. Let's listen in on that conversation. Welcome to uh, Koki Koiman from Denka Capital. Corky, I was working at ABSA around the time, and we're going back whew, 20 years, that the Money Market Unit Trust was started. And the reason it was begun was because of competitive pressure and money market funds sweeping around the world. Now, today, ABSA decided after all this time and 80 or 90 billion rands worth of assets under management, it's going to close the unit trust down, the money market fund down. Is this a surprise to you? It is. It is, Alec. It is. It's, uh, look, in terms of as you, in your introductory comments said, um, it has been around, it was initiated many years ago due to competitive pressures, but it seems if one reads what they what they say now today, Absa, in that the concern is that retail clients have started associating the bank name with a guarantee. And so they're saying, um, Absa retail clients, you're thinking that you're getting the bank's guarantee, but you are not. And secondly, one must remember that a money market fund in the bank's name means that your asset management uh, arm is gathering effectively deposits, which it then spreads 
amongst other banks <laughs> and you get a share of it. So if you think about it that way, it's actually a clever way of saying, look, we don't want retail deposits that think they're getting an absolute guarantee going to ours and other banks via this money market fund, rather have them put their deposits directly with us. So what apps are doing, closing the fund and giving them the option to either be paid out or the money deposited into an APSA uh, deposit account or then another fund. Koki, it seems totally disingenuous, and I'll tell you why. It's all about margins. The money market funds were giving a higher interest rate to people. That's why they swept across the world than, than bank accounts were providing. Now APSA is saying it's using some arcane argument uh, to justify what looks to me like a way of expanding their margins or getting a better return for them rather than for their clients. What's wrong with that statement? Yeah, now, Alec, if you say it that way, then the trigger was most probably uh, during the COVID pandemic that the Zerf Bank uh, lowered interest rates, which affected margins uh, so f- much further downwards and uh, and forced this move. So I think when you read that together, then maybe it's not a it's not a bad response from Absa to protect their own profitability, but you know, it's not so good for their retail clients. But surely the retail clients are just going to go to another money market fund, wouldn't you? Yeah, indeed, indeed, that is the risk they face, um, and uh, we're, it's going to be interesting to see how other banks respond um, to that. I mean, Standard Bank, for instance, some time ago renamed their money market uh, from Standard Bank Money Market to Stanlib Money Market. Um, so you know they haven't got that direct bank name connotation and. Um, so clients won't necessarily think that they're getting a bank guarantee. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see how what, what happens, yes. Koki, tomorrow we are going to get financial results from Capitec, uh, the reason for ABS's margins coming under pressure, uh, not just theirs but many others, Capitec being uh, the most successful South African banking entrant uh, by some distance. What are you expecting Gheri and Co. to deliver? You know, um, I think what they will deliver is going to be, in my eyes, less important than um, than what they're going to say about the future and what is happening right now. Because um, the year ended, uh, and for them it's ended now, and they're reporting on, has effectively got four quarters. Well, we all know that, sorry for that, but... These quarters were all so different as the pandemic went to through its different stages and the recovery. So the last part of this financial year will be quite different from the other. So I think if a direct answer to your question, I think the full year result will be better than the half year result because the half year they had to make quite large provisions and the need for that will have fallen away. Most banks during 2020 were forced or had to because of accounting regulations over, over provided. And so, um, I think we're going to see that in Capitex results as well that, that A, they should see the demand, uh, come through again. Um, but, uh, the reserve requirement being lower. I think there will still be pressure on margin. And what is most interesting is they're going to be their comments is demand for credit where they're at ease coming back. Um, and you know, how conservative they've been. Because obviously during the year to Feb 21 in their case, um, they would have been quite conservative in giving out loans and whether in the last two months they have stepped up there again. The other big question is, are they likely to pay a dividend? Yeah, that is, in their case, uh, going to be quite interesting because uh, they are very well capitalized. Uh, I think they are over-provided. Provide, um, but, you know, we've got the uncertainty of the third wave ahead. If I had to uh, you know, give an opinion, I'd, I'd say I think they will pay a dividend, but, you know, less than they normally do for uh, under the circumstances. So I think they'll try and be conservative. They will pay out to reward uh, shareholders, but um, less so than they would have other, otherwise done. Just to keep some capital intact, we just don't know 
what's the third wave will bring? I don't know if you saw India is really the numbers they are skyrocketing. Uh, so, you know, we could still go that route. I think we're different, but yeah, the risk is still there. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Okay, Magnus, before we talk about um, active citizenry, uh, the whole story as it was unpacked there in the discussion about the EBSA money market fund confirms uh, pretty much the what we were talking about a little bit earlier. This is not being done in the interest of clients. Uh, EBSA wants to switch 85 billion rands worth of, well, uh, however much of that is, is retail investors into bank deposits rather than to pay the, uh, the, the, the higher interest rate that one's getting from a money market fund. Do you think they'll be successful? Do you think that, that people are uh, sheepish enough to just switch across? Unfortunately, uh, yes. Uh, most people wouldn't understand what's the background and they'll just uh, listen to the instruction of their bank manager or their, their, their relationship manager. But you're quite right. It's all about margins because money market funds, by definition, is probably the safest investment you can put your money in in South Africa because your risk is spread amongst 10 to 15 to 20 companies and the chances of a blow-up of all of them at the same time is zero. Whereas with a bank, you a bank can go under. We've had many bank uh, collapses in the last 20 years, so I don't have to mention them. So in effect, EPSA is going to, on a very sly basis, persuade their clients to move from a very good investment, paying low fees, going into a fixed deposit or one of the bank products, which actually is going to increase their risks if there is a bank crisis one day in South Africa. And if I'm an APSA money manager, I will take my money away and then give it to one of the other guys who have suddenly started advertising. I see that Signia have said, come to us, we'll charge you no fees uh, for a six or a 12-month period of time or any of the other banks, but it's a safer investment than a bank investment because banks do go under and then your money's at risk because we had African Bank and, and Sambo and, and so many other, BBS. It's a much more aggressive, uh, uh, insecure investment than a money market instrument. I, th- I think APSA must have a better explanation uh, to the public and not the one that they're trying to get away with. Well, the explanation uh, to, is the only one that they can give because it was the decision were made was made for a different reason. And it's, uh, anybody yeah. who's in business understands that. But uh, just in our next story, we, we, we like to give exposure to uh, active citizenry. And something's been going on in the West Rand here of Johannesburg. Just just explain what's going on. The people of Rotoport, um uh, they're doing something about it. I mean, the potholes, especially in Johannesburg, I know in Cape Town it's also somewhat of a problem, but in Johannesburg it's disastrous. Uh, I mean, many suburbs you can spread. I mean, Joburg's a big province, but um, the people of Rotoport are doing something about it. Um, they're taking a stand, and it's great to have Amy and Dave here with us this evening. Amy is from the Institute of Race Relations, and we'll talk to her in just a moment. But Dave Baxter is the chairman of the Institute of the Panorama Residents Association, Dave. Uh, just by way of background, uh, what did you do in your day job? Okay, I run my own business, uh, doing maintenance at complexes, etc. And uh, then in my spare time, which is limited, we try and improve our neighbourhood. How many members do you have in the association? In total, it's probably about 500 households, in total about 1,000 members, but there's still a lot of room to grow because it's a very large residence association and should actually be three residents, separate residence associations. Take us through what you guys have been doing with potholes. Okay, well, we report them naturally to the council and nothing gets done. Um we get it escalated, nothing gets done, then it gets lost in the system. So we just took it upon us. Um, one of our local security companies, EC Security, assisted us, and we bought close to a ton of tar, and we started filling potholes, and we didn't even do a tenth of the neighborhood that needed doing. Is it that bad? I mean, a ton only takes uh, 10% of what's required. 
probably less than 10%. And what about the council? If they see that uh, residents are starting to take matters into their own hands, did they start uh, filling in potholes as well, at least to show that the ratepayer funds go somewhere? They arrived the next day and continued. And the strange thing is that the ones that the council fixed have already opened up again. The ones we fixed are still closed. Why is that? I don't think there's any supervision over what the subcontractors do. So it's a matter of, okay, the hole's filled, tough luck. But it's no use filling a pothole if it's not filled properly. Is it a science to filling a pothole? Not really, but we had a proper compactor that EC Security provided, and we compacted these things. I mean, it's actually quite amazing how much toll goes into a pothole. Look, some of these potholes are blim and deep. We could have turned them into dams. <laughs> but um, it's amazing how much toll, once you compact it properly, goes into the pothole. Why did you decide, of all things, that you could have addressed in the area that potholes were the ones you were going to focus on? Well, it's not only potholes we do. We're starting to clear drains, the the curbs of the road, because they sometimes cut the grass on the pavement, but they do not clear the, or basically scoffling, the flow to the drainage points. So that is our next project, to start clearing that up, because we have trees growing between the curb and the top on busy arterials. Why are you doing this? This is supposed to be what your rates and taxes pay for. But they are not doing it. It is just not being done. So the next clearing up, hmm. locked up parks. We, there we got permission from city parks to lock a park because of the excessive use of drugs and the crime that was taking place from this park into adjacent households. So we devised a locking mechanism onto the gates to the park, and we now lock them. We have permission. We lock them at 6 in the evening and lock them at 6 in the morning. Let's bring in Amy Claire Morton now, who's with the Institute of Race Relations. Amy Claire, you alerted us to what's going on in the West Rand with Panorama and Dave and his team. Why is this on your radar? So we're running a campaign called um, hashtag stop citizen abuse and we focus on all instances of citizen abuse which we term as being um, stealing from taxpayers, wasting money and resources intended for upliftment of community, physical abuse of um, citizens, just any abuse, even crippling taxation. Um, And so we do a lot of reporting on the issues in the country. We actually wrote a memorandum which we presented to the presidency and we're still waiting for a response on. Um, But we were looking for a more positive story about how people can stand up against citizen abuse because that's really the point for us is to motivate people to rise above citizen abuse and not just endure it. And so we were looking for a positive story and we found this article about Dave and the Panorama Residence Association. And so we went to go do an interview with Dave, which we have a video interview with him, which we will be releasing this week. And it's really incredible what they've done. Potholes are really just the tip of the iceberg. They've really transformed their community. But if you, if you think it through, the logical next step is that residents are going to say, well, why should we pay the rates and taxes? Because we have to do all this ourselves. Yeah, we flagged that for the government, actually, in our memorandum. We said that, you know, what if, what if residents start lobbying for rebates? Um, because it does seem very unfair that, like, Dave's community are paying out of their own pocket to fix those roads, um, out of membership fees of the Residents Association. And in addition to that, they pay rates and taxes. And it does seem a bit unfair, to be honest. Amy Claire, what about the story of some time back where companies began doing things like this? Uh, putting assurance, putting uh, pointsmen at broken robots and were then told to take the pointsmen away because they were taking jobs away from people even though they, nothing was happening in the past, uh, filling in potholes. Uh, some other companies were doing the same thing and they were told it was illegal. Are, are Dave and his guys not breaking the law? 
Not to my knowledge. <laughs> I don't think there's anything illegal about taking that initiative that I know. And I think especially in Dave's case, what it's done is it's motivated the municipality to take a more um, active interest. It's alerted them to some of these issues because newspapers turn up and they report on it. And so they feel like they need to pull up their socks. Um, but you also had that issue in um, Harry Smith with the Water Heroes, where there was this conflict between the municipality and the citizens. But as Dave said to me in our interview, if, you if you're living in, a, in a, a neighborhood with burst sewers, the people who live with the stench are the people who are going to fix it. And I think it's, it's going to be a trend that we see more in South Africa going forward. Um, if the government does fail to provide services, people are going to become more independent and start circumventing government services to ensure that they have what they need to cope as a community. Magnus, it seems almost like a trend here. If you, you begin with schooling, uh, people going on private schooling, security, uh, using private security rather than relying on the, on the state's police. And so on. And now it's getting, we've seen this happening, as, as Amy Claire was saying, in places like Harrysmith, uh, far away from the major city centers. But now it, it's turning, it's right on our back step, if you like, uh, here in supposedly the world-class city of Africa, uh, Johannesburg. When I landed from the Cape last week, I was in the Cape for four, uh, 45 months. And maybe because of all the rain, I, I landed at Lanseria and it was seven o'clock at night. And from Lanseria back home, I promise you, I went through six or seven potholes. We're not driving a big bucky, but my tires would have probably burst. And, and then you put yourself at risk. So this is a major, major problem. And, and, and this is, you know, the, the South African, I mean, the local community is where it's, 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 it's happening. But we've seen this in smaller towns at first. Betol and, 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 and then I went to places like Kimberley and, and Petra Tiff and it's now in Bloemfontein. And, and this is one of government's major problems where, where the citizenry are actually getting cut for and, and wanting to boycott, not boy, pay into the, in the municipalities' accounts rather than pay into a separate account. And this is it's bubbling under, as they say, and it's, it's popping up like in areas like, like, like Rudderport now, we guys have said we've just had enough, and, 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 and quite rightly so. This is the stuff that the politicians need to address, but they, they're simply not interested. And, and it's, um, I keep on saying, well, you know, a lot of people in South Africa have been living like, living like this for many years and don't complain, but that's not an argument how we build up our country. So it's a sad, sad state of affairs. Magnus, does this not epitomize your investment case for South Africa? I mean, the country is getting run to the ground. Um, you don't need a dividend discount model to, to be able to value that. Well, you know, the, 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 the large farmers will tell you that the, the getting their produce to the big markets is already a major problem. You're a farmer, you're 100 kilometers, you're going to travel on dirt roads to get your, your maize or your corn or your, your, your potatoes or whatever you produce. It's an added cost, it's an added risk. And, and these things are real. They actually play a big role uh, because the, the, the railways is packed up, so you can't put your stuff on uh, on a train to take it to the market. You can't, so they use roads. So the trucks are, are, are tearing up our our roads, and we've seen it in the in, in Bumalanga area with the coal trucks and, and chrome trucks. And, and it's, a, it's a vicious, vicious spiral, and it's one of the factors, not, not all of it, but it's part of the crumbling infrastructure, which is becoming more and more visible uh, as the years go on. You cannot... You cannot deny that it's, it's 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 crumbling anymore. I mean, even Peter Bruce from the uh, that very good uh, journalist for Business Day Financial Mail last week wrote a piece and said South Africa is falling apart, not metaphorically anymore. It's physically falling apart, and which is a very sad state of affairs. It does have to. It does flow into the investment case at some point. David. So, Dave, to you and your guys in in Rudaport, uh, my old hometown. Good luck to you. Dave, just something, something that people do not really notice is we notice potholes, but we don't notice where are the fire hydrants. So we started an exercise of I've got maps of all the hydrants in our jurisdiction, and we started marking them like they should be marked, like they should, should have been marked in the beginning. Uh, this time, Joburg Water came to the party and they also tested to ensure the things are functioning. You first have to dig to find it, 
the nozzle, clean that out, and we, had, we painted little yellow boards demarcating where the hydrants are because nobody knows where they are. The fire department does not know. We had a house burned down. Sadly, the residents of the house did pass away, but the fire department was so thankful that we had done that area and that hydrant had been marked. It took them a couple of minutes to find it, link up, and attempt to extinguish the fire. On the crime side, we also have 60 volunteer community police forum patrollers run by John Rosenberg. And they put in about four, 500 hours a month out of their own people, their own time, to assist SAPs. Are you in contact with other community organizations around the country who might be inspired by what you guys are doing, or maybe they're inspiring you? Um, they actually, nobody has in, inspired us. We actually just couldn't take it anymore. Um, we're not in touch around the country, but we are with our local residents associations. Emily, have you got more of these stories for us, In uh, as Magnus says, bubbling under? Well, Amy Claire, so sorry, my apologies, not Amy Lee. No um, so far, Dave, is our first community story. We've been running the campaign for a couple of months now, and this is our first positive community story, but we're definitely going to be looking at more of these stories because that's, it's very, very important to us that South Africans don't feel despairing of the state, but motivated to start taking initiative and looking after ourselves because it is, it's a, it's a tough environment, but we really do want to inspire that um, chutzpah, really. Um, so we will be looking at more of those stories. In the meanwhile, we issue a lot, um, we highlight a lot of issues, like we took on a sand roll issue a few weeks ago, and there's the memorandum, and we've uh, also posed the question to Barca and Patricia DeLille about what will happen with um, homeowners' bonds in the case of expropriation without compensation. So mostly we actually deal with less uplifting stories, um, but we're hoping to do more uplifting stories, not just criticizing, but also celebrating people who get it right. Good stuff, Amy Claire, and more uh, strength to your elbow. Uh, Dave Baxter, thanks as well for joining us tonight and for sharing your story with us. Uh, Magnus, active citizenry is something that uh, those of us who live in South Africa have to start getting used to. It's no good whining about things. Uh, surely the, the, the right way to do it is to get involved in some way. No, absolutely. It, it is happening. I mean, every forum also in Pretoria and other parts of the country have been doing this on, on a much more organized scale. Many, many suburbs of Pretoria East have taken over this role, uh, cleaning up suburbs, holding on schools and university and stuff like that. And I think uh, it, it's vitally important uh, to try and rescue what we still can rescue of our infrastructure in this country because it is in a dire, a dire state. And then once it's gone, it's gone. You know, roads and bridges and rail, railway lines, those things are not cheap and, and it's, it's, it's so expensive to uh, come back and, and, and build new ones. So we have to do that, Alec. Magnus Haystek is the founder and chairman of Brenthurst Wealth. Thanks for being with us uh, this evening, as you usually are, as our a guest market commentator or guest co-host. Before we leave you, uh, Justin, bring us up to date with the markets. The JSE All Share Index was low at 66,400. Some of the day's highlights include NASPIS fell 70 rand to 3,400 rand a share after 10 cent was trading weaker in Hong Kong this morning. Implats lost 8 rand on the day to 275 rand a share as weaker, weaker precious metals prices hampered most resource stocks. Goldfields traded 4% lower at 138 rand a share on the back of a weaker gold spot price and transaction capital bucked the trend trading more than 3% higher to a shade under 31 rand a share. In the currency markets, the rand was weaker against all the major currencies to 14 rand 57 to the greenback, 20.03 to the sterling and 17 rand 36 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,734 an ounce. Brent crude is trading at $64 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 870,000 rand a Bitcoin. 
Well, thanks for being with us tonight. Just uh, one final little addition there. Capitec, one of the movers on the market today, up by one and three quarter percent. So maybe that dividend is going to be repaid. You might recall that the Reserve Bank stopped banks from paying dividends because of the COVID uh, pandemic. And now the uh, taps are being reopened. And uh, I know quite a few Capitec shareholders will be looking forward to some kind of a payment tomorrow. Uh, Thanks for being with us this evening. Remember that the Biz News Power Hour is on every weekday night from 6.30, uh, 5.30 rather, until 6.30. You can get us on FMR in Cape Town and the Cape area. Also on biznewsradio.com where there's a live stream. So real easy biznewsradio.com, put it into your phone, click on the live stream, and away you go. Uh, The beauty of technology. We look forward to being back in your company again tomorrow. Until then, from the BizNews team, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at BizNews.